it's your tribe, it's your place. This is going to be a great day because we are kicking off a, a series. It's going to go over the next three weeks, and it is called Remnants and Rebuild. I want you real quick, turn to somebody next to you and say, you look like a remnant. You look like a remnant. You know, if you know them, maybe say you look like a remnant of someone I once knew. I don't just kidding, I'm, I'm hoping you're feeling, no, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be a remnant. That may feel a bit rough, rough way to start the day, right? But uh, this series is called Remnants and Rebuilt, and it is uh, from the book of Haggai. We're going to be going, how many people, this is one of your favorite passages, book of Haggai, hands, hands everywhere. We got not a lot of hands in the room. How many people are like, what is in the book of Haggai, hands everywhere? I don't know, there's probably a lot. It's okay, it's okay, it's not a quiz. We don't uh, mark it in your file, but put that in their file, could you just, no, just kidding, joking. I, uh, this passage, and, and the reason I say it's a great day, especially if you're part of the tribe uh, here at True North, I really believe this is, uh, that what is in the book of Haggai and this message is a message in so many ways for us today, right here, right now. And, uh, and so this is going to be a fantastic, going to be a few weeks in this. The book of Haggai, and if, I, if you don't know what's in it, I, I remember when I was about 20 years ago, uh, first preaching course I was ever doing to be a pastor. We were told, pick anything you want to preach in the whole Bible. You're going to preach a message in front of your students, you know, they're going to video you, the professors, everybody, all that. And uh, you can pick anything. And one of the things that they teach you when you're learning how to preach is that context is everything. So whatever you are going to be speaking on, you better make sure you understand that passage and you understand where it sits in the chapter and the book and all of it. And I was like, okay, what am I going to speak on? And I was like, I, I looked and one of the smallest books I could find in the whole Bible is Haggai. It's like two chapters long, like 30-some verses. And I was like, I don't know what's in here, but that's a, I can wrap my head around, I'm sure, whatever's in here. So I thought it's small enough I can focus on, and this will be my first message. I studied the heck out of it. I'm reading it in Hebrew. I put my heart and soul into this message, a 15-minute message I preached, finished. And then you finish, and it's like, wow, I gave this everything I had. And then the professors begin to critique you. And uh, there was a guy there named Martin Sanders. Many of you know him. I've known him for years. I only knew him about a year at that point. But I can still picture the look of, like, what have you just done on his face? And so they began to, in front of all your classmates, you know, you know, really thought you could do better than that and stuff like this. And I, I say all I'd say because I can vividly remember and associate the book of Haggai with going home to my wife and saying, babe, we've been married like six months. It's very possible I've made a terrible career choice. <laughs> and thankfully things started to go better from there. But this book, I say all that to say, I've been uh, someone who's actually, I love this book for the last 20 years. I don't think I've preached it again since then, primarily due to those emotional scars. <laughs> but earlier this year, I started to feel like, I feel like that moment is coming. Uh, because of what the message is. And God kept kind of bringing it to my mind. And mid this year, I felt like God was saying, and, and the way we kind of choose what we're looking at, we kind of sense, say, what, what's here? And it kind of started penciled in. And I got to tell you, as we've come to this moment in time, penciled in a little while back. I just believe this is a, a word from God for our church and our people. I think it's a word God's speaking probably to a lot of churches because it's all about this idea of the remnant and the rebuild. Now, as I said, in order to understand it, so we're going to spend three weeks in this passage, okay? We're going to be in this over the next three weeks. We're going to wrap up on 27th November, uh, a day we also are going to be calling Thanksgiving Sunday. We've done this a couple times. We look back, give thanks for all God's done in the year. 
Uh, but we're going to be in this two chapters, these 30-some verses for a couple of weeks. And today, what I want to help you do, if we're going to hear the message, if we're going to grasp what it's about, the only way, as I said, is to understand the context in which it was spoken. So we're going to spend a bit of time this morning understanding the moment. Because it's about the remnant and the rebuild. Remember the remnant sitting next to you? You know, and you're going, wait a second, what's a remnant? And a remnant of what, you know? So if we don't understand what the remnant is a remnant of, because a remnant is what is left of something. And so if we don't understand what it came from, we'll never understand the remnant, right? We agreed? Give me a shout if you, yeah, 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 wherever you're at. And, uh, and if we don't understand, if we're going to rebuild, we got to know what was first built. Does that seem good? Yeah, yeah right? Now all day, here's what I'm going to need from you, wherever you're at, Malu here. If I ask a question, you have to like go, let me, okay, yep, we're with you. Because if you're like, I'm not with you, we'll stop, we'll go back, and we'll, we'll, we'll hit it again from another angle. Because I remember I didn't do a good job the first time preaching this, and I don't want to make that mistake twice. Okay, and Martin, don't watch this, please. Anyway, so I'm going to take you back, a little bit of context. What I learned, I thought like these two chapters, oh, won't need much context. And then I realized the whole book will make zero sense unless you got a lot of context. So you ready for some context this morning? Now, you are in for a treat because sometimes I use a whiteboard. Whenever I draw or write, we get a lot of emails and messages saying, we love that. Like, we want more of the handwriting, more of the pictures, Dean, because uh, I'm such a great artist. And so I thought I'll, I'll give you more. Does that sound good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're not convincing. Now, check this out, though. We're gonna, I'm gonna, we are going to go back. And if it's okay, over the next, you know, maybe 10 minutes or so, we're going we're gonna to do an artistic drawing through uh, Genesis through to Haggai. Would that be good? Remember, no, some of you were like noncommittal. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay, because it's going to happen either way. So... Here's what we're going to understand. The message of Haggai, it's a message to the remnant about the rebuild. Uh, but we have to understand who the remnant is. So we are going to start in the book of Genesis. Are you ready? Here we go. So, and I'm going to just give you a couple pictures. Uh, so, so hopefully it makes sense. Uh, we're going to start for a moment to understand the remnant. We're going to start in. These are trees, Okay. Was that not, is that not clear that they're trees? Um, okay, these are trees, two trees. Uh, these are people, okay? This will be our symbol for people uh, from here on out. Uh, these are birds. How's that? Is that a good bird? Uh, how do you do the fish? Uh, you know. That's, that's, that's not a good. Let's, let's try that again. We'll do the... The Jesus fish is so easy. What would I do? I can't even do the, the Jesus fish. You know, you're supposed to go like that and then, look, I'm a Christian. There we go, fish. This is the book of where the Bible opens. If you're not familiar with the scripture, you're going to get a real fast crash course. Uh, this is where the Bible opens. You've got uh, Adam and Eve. They're placed in a garden. There's two trees. And then above all of this, now this one's going to be an important symbol. Uh, my marker might be too fat for this, but okay. That is a crown, okay? Now, that represents God as king. 
God is the creator of all. This is where the book opens, where the scriptures open. In the beginning, God made the heavens. He made all of it. He's in charge of it. He's the king over all. But then he puts uh, Adam and Eve, he puts human beings in the garden. And guess what? He kind of gives them a crown too. And he says, you are going to have, I'm going to make my thing a little bit thinner. Let's see. He says, you're going to have dominion. Let me hear you say dominion. Dominion is a royal word. You're going to be kings. He basically says, I made all this stuff, the birds, the animals, the trees. It's all yours. You've got dominion. You are going to rule over it. He says, you're going to be like kings and queens, and you're going to look after my creation, and you're going you're to make stuff out of it. It's going to be extraordinary. That's what God created us for. But God is really clear about this one thing, and people get kind of wondering, but God has this one rule. He says, you've got super huge kind of freedom and to be in charge of everything, but there's these uh, two trees, and you are not to eat the fruit of this particular tree called the knowledge of good and evil. Who's heard of that bit of the story? We heard about that bit of the story. Give me, yeah, yeah, I want to know. And, uh, and so he says, you can't. Now, you can get wrapped up in people, what's the fruit, why this, that. The, the, you know what it establishes right from the get-go is that God's saying, you're going to be in charge of it all, but you are, you are small kings and queens under my being king. Okay? So you can have a choice in how you do things. You can do it your way or you can do things my way. You can acknowledge that I'm your creator and you can be obedient to me and you can uh, do things under me. And if you do those things, everything is going to go well. But if you don't acknowledge me as king and lord, then things are not going to go well. And of course they don't. Sin enters the picture. Everything gets wrecked and destroyed. And we understand the brokenness that we still experience in our world, of course, today. Now, so everything goes wrong. But, and they kind of get, you know, kicked out. And then uh, the fish are sad. Okay. Anyway. But they become, God wants them to, and they do. They become fruitful and multiply. And so now you got lots more people. Now, like I said, we're going really fast uh, through uh, why does that person have two sets of arms? That's not, I'm going to take away their arms. They're, sorry, sorry, you're good. We got you fixed. Okay. Now a lot of things happen. Things get worse. Uh, things get so bad at one point, this is the story of Noah, that, that actually everything is so far off. God actually says, I'm going to send a flood. I'm going to wipe everybody out and I'm going to start over. Have we heard of that story? And, but he says, but I'm not going to wipe out everyone. I'm going to keep for myself Noah. Noah and his family, they're righteous. And they become, out of all the people who were there, it's like he takes a couple of them and he says that we're going to rescue and we're going to start over again with you. Are you with me? And they become like a remnant of what God is doing and creating. And time just keeps going by and people keep growing and there's more and more and they've been told to be fruitful and multiply and they keep on being fruitful and multiplying. And then... Eventually, God calls this one out of all these people, and his name is Abram at the time. And God says, now I want you to listen to me and follow and do what I want you to, to do. And so he calls Abram and says, you're going to go, and you're going to go from where you are, and you're going to go uh, and actually back in the direction of the original garden, and you're going to go there, and you are going to be fruitful and multiply. I'm going to make you into many nations. You have any kids, but you uh, and Sarah, you're going to have many, so here's this his wife Sarai, and you're going to have all these kids and you're going to become a giant nation. And guess what? He says, it's going to be like this. You're going to have all these kids, too many to count. So Dean won't try and draw them all because there's too, too many eventually to count. It starts with kind of 
uh, Isaac and then Jacob and, and, and the family grows and grows. And the whole idea was God will be king of this people within the larger people and they will become and they do become the people of Israel, the people of God. And their job is to live as those who have God as their king. They're trying to, in a sense, do what got messed up back here. And so they're doing their best, and they're trying, and they're trying. But guess what? There's all these people, there's all these people, and it's not going well. Even though uh, they've, they've been to try and do the same, they just they can't do it. And they, they keep getting it wrong. And, and kind of ebbs and flows, and it goes good for a while, and then bad for a while. And God is going to be their king, but uh, we go through this one particular period where he then sends these uh, judges who are kind of the ideas that God is king of, of these people. Uh, and he sends judges and prophets, and, uh, and, and sometimes it goes good, and then sometimes it's going bad. And, uh, but then there's always this kind of small group who does stay faithful, and, and the people keep going. And, uh, and then, now it's worth as, uh, as well that... No, we won't go. That will get too confusing um, if it's not confusing enough. Are you still with me, though? Yeah. All right. This is good. Now, uh, Judges, Prophets, these people are going, look, God, we like having you be our king, but we wish we had a king like all the other nations. Uh, we, we, we know you send these prophets, these judges. They're, they're trying to help us understand you and live with you as our king, but could you just give us king? And eventually God says, okay, I'm going to give you a king. And so he picks like one of, one of the people, so let's just pretend like this is a lot of history and this is now in this era. Uh, and he picks uh, this guy Saul. And he says Saul's going to be king. Saul doesn't do a good job. And so then uh, Saul gets the boot and the second king of this whole nation of, of Israel is this guy David. And so we'll draw David here. And David will get a crown. And the crown's, he wears it off to the side. Um, <laughs> Just because it's kind of like a cool thing they did back then for a while. It was kind of a snapback crown. And um, so that's how he wore it. So David becomes king. And he becomes like the symbolic just king, you know, of, of the people of Israel. And, uh, and I'm going to my Old Testament professor be so upset with me. But I'm going to do, this is just going to be a, a really, really loose drawing of the land of Israel. So he's king. This is the land. So they now are, they're in the land. This was a big part of the whole promise. This will be the land where my people are, where God's king. David is king over this whole kingdom. And then he has a son, and his son's name is Solomon. And we're going to start doing a lot more history every week, everybody. <laughs> Did anybody yell that out? If we don't know David's son is Solomon, this is, uh, what have we been doing? Anyway, okay. That's okay. If you don't know that, that is okay. But we'll, we'll start doing drawings every week. So Solomon uh, becomes king after David. And this is the entire, this is Israel. Uh, Jerusalem is, this won't be accurate, don't do this on test, but is in the southern kingdom, uh, the southern part. And Solomon is king. And this moment with these two guys is what we're going to call this is, this is uh, it's officially called the United Monarchy, but we're going to call this glory days. Oh, man. This time of David and Solomon, for one window of time, it's kind of like everything is going well uh, for the people and the plan and the kings are good. And it, and it seems like there's just prosperity and it's all just going so well. And David had said at one point, I want to build a house for God. 
I want to build him a house and, and a temple. And so this will be the symbol of kind of God's dwelling in their midst. God says, David, you're not going to do it. Solomon is going to be the one who's going to build a house. Solomon at one point says, I'm going to build this house. Now some people think he's building this house that is sort of like, okay, that's where God lives. It wasn't that kind of house. Solomon didn't believe that, and the people of Israel didn't believe that God lived inside the idea of a temple. Solomon, when he's building it, says, you know, uh, the whole heavens can't contain God, much less some house I can build. But this is here so that people will know how great God is. It's a symbol that we, it was meant to be a symbol that these people, all the people in this land, lived under God as their king. Are you with me? So this is why Solomon then builds, right in the middle of all of this, a temple. Now, this temple is not just any temple. It is huge. And this is not to scale. And we're just going to, that is, you know, it is just, it's massive. It's got walls. It's got, this is not accurate. It's got pillars. It's got everything it is a wonder of the world. The actual, not my drawing, but thank you. But genuinely, understand this. It is glorious. It is built with no expense spared. It is meant to be this symbol that the greatness of this wonder of the world symbolizes or pictures or gives the kind of communication that God is the one who was above it all and that they were going to be his people. And so they've built this, and this becomes the center of their worship. It, it takes place there. Again, don't be confused and think that they thought God lived there. That wasn't it. But it, but it was a place where you, that was at the center of their life, their community life, their civic life, their, uh, their worship. The temple was, was huge. I mean, we can't, you know, kind of communicate how central this was to who they were. Because it was all about them in the land with God as their king. But here's the problem. Does anybody know what happens with Solomon's sons and the kings after? Are they good kings or bad kings? They're a mixture, but mostly bad. In fact, within a generation, the glory days are gone, and the kingdom gets torn into two, and you have the northern, which is what you'll, you'll hear is the kings of Israel, and the southern, the kings of Judah. And and now you go through this period where there's some good kings, there's some bad kings. And this is where you read through, if you've ever read through the whole Bible, you're reading through and you just read about, oh, mostly they're bad. And it's just bad kings and this and that. And you have, like, say, Elijah. Are we familiar with Elijah? Who knows Elijah? Give me a hand. Give me a shout. So you got guys like Elijah. He's up in the north. And the people in the north, they're always worshiping these other gods, the balls. And instead of God being their king and them being who they were supposed to be, uh, you know, they're, they're always going. And so Elijah comes along and says, look. Uh, we're going to uh, have this showdown between God and Baal. And they have this famous showdown of, of his God versus their God. And he calls down fire from heaven. And it becomes clear that, that the Lord, Yahweh, is the true God. And then all the people turn, the, the prophets of Baal, they turn, they want to kill Elijah. He runs away and he says to God, God, there's nobody left. Everybody is, has given up. They all bowed their knee to Baal. They, they just, there's no one left, God. And I'm the only one left and and this is terrible. And God basically says, mate, just have a nap, have some food, and let's talk in the morning. It basically says you need to rest. And God ends up saying to him, not everyone, not everyone has bowed the knee to Baal. 
He says, I've reserved for myself 4,000, 5,000, something like that, who are still known by my name. In other words, within all those people who are supposed to be my people, there are some who are a remnant who still call me king. Are you with me? So this kinds of thing is going on. It's happening, it's happening, it's happening. And then uh, things are, are, they go good for a while, they go bad for a while. And uh, for hundreds of years. And then something comes along. Now, if, if, and I might not have nailed this for you earlier, but uh, what they understood it to be as the people of God was, again, to be in this land with God as their king. And the central symbol that God is with them and, and that their lives revolve around him is this temple is what it becomes. But a couple things happen in, in about the year 722. Does that sound right to anybody? 722. The, uh, the Assyrian. We were working on Solomon earlier. Now we're, Anyway, uh, the Assyrians come along. There's, there's these new superpowers in the land. And they basically conquer uh, the northern kingdom, Israel. So they come in and they conquer the northern kingdom. A couple 150 years later, 586, there is, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw a hammer there's a new superpower, and we're going to call them, well, we're not going to call them. We're going to draw them as a hammer, but it's, it's this new kingdom, uh, this new superpower, Babylon. So Babylon. Let me just say Babylon. So here's where Babylon comes along, and I'm going to draw the hammer. It's facing this way. It's a claw hammer, we'll say. But it's like this, okay? So we'll just say it's a hammer. And I'm going to use that as a hammer because what... Uh, they do is they come along and they are just, they're destroying all the different uh, people in the area and they smash to pieces this house. And what they would do, the Babylonians, their strategy for being a superpower was not only that, uh, we, we've, we've destroyed this, literally reduced it to rubble. And here's all the people. We're going to take them. And their strategy was, we're going to take you into exile. And so they take all the people who lived here, who lived under God as king, and they've destroyed the center of their entire world. And they take all the people, and they take the best and the brightest in particular, and they take them to Babylon. Because their strategy for how we're going to conquer the world was we're going to make them more like us. We're going to teach them our ways, our customs. That's why they destroyed their temple. That's why they take them in. Who knows Daniel? Give me a shout if you know Daniel. They take Daniel. They say, this guy's smart. He's wise. He's, he's going to be top quality. And they take him into the royal, and they're, like, they're going to train him. They change his name. They change his clothes, his hair. They say, you're going to be like one of us. Of course, we know Daniel. The thing that sets him apart is he's like, I'm not going to become one of you. I'm going to stay faithful to the Lord my God, even when I'm not in the land, even when it looks like everything is, all, is lost. I'm going to stay faithful to God. And years go by, and the people, so I want you to imagine for a moment I want you just to imagine you're these people who once upon a time you were in the land and you had, and you had, it seemed like everything's going so well and the kingdom was there. And all of a sudden something happened that cataclysmically just disrupted everything you understood about being the people of God. 
And this is where you get psalms, that where they write these psalms and they're trying to wrestle with this idea of how can we be the people of God when we're not in the land and we don't, we no longer, it's like is God even king and we got smashed, the temple's gone and they've been exiled. And they are there for uh, about 50 years until another uh, kingdom comes along and we'll put this one as going to be like a wrecking ball. Okay, it's just imagine that's a wrecking ball in a chain. And they swoop in and this is the Persian Empire. Now, I know you're like, I didn't come just for a history lesson. Behold, hang with me. If you want the power of Haggai, we got to understand the context. Are you still with me? Persia comes in. They smash Babylon. Babylon is no more. And there's a new superpower in town. And God's people have now been out of the land. They feel like, where is God? Is he king? But you've got... Uh, out of all those people, now 50 years have gone by, years and years have gone by. But when Persia comes, they have a new strategy. Cyrus has his, his name and he has his strategy. And his strategy is, here's how we're going to kind of rule the world, consolidate our empire. We're going to let you go back and be yourselves. We're going to try and earn the favor of all these different people groups that we've conquered. So you can go back, you can go back to your land. And they give this option. And so you had all these people, and now some of the people who lived back then, they've grown old and they've died. New people have been born into the family. Some of those who were older still remember what life was way back before Babylon ever came. They still remember it. And so some of the people, not all, but some, go back. And so again, you have all these people who once were there. And they've been in exile. And some of them go back to the land. And now they're back there. But they're back where they used to be. But they're looking around. And it's not like it used to be, is it? They're looking around and the, the temple, the symbol, the center of their worship, the center of what their identity was and who they were called to be in the world as a people who live with God as king has been totally destroyed. But they go back, and at least we're in the land. And they're in the land, and so they settle down. And they start to build houses. And they're still, you know, we're still, we're still the people of God. We're back in our land, we're building our houses. And we're, you know, we're working. We're farming. We're trying to figure out how to make a living. It's a bit of a rough place to be because... Again, they've been conquered and destroyed, and now they're having to restart farming, and they're having to restart, you know, this is agrarian cultures. This is, they're, they're having to refigure out life, and they're doing it now, and there's, you know, it seems like a world that is absolutely in chaos, like one superpower to another. The world just seems so turbulent, and they're there in the land. And every day, every day, they would probably, uh, for many of them who are in Jerusalem, they would have probably walked by and seen the ruins of that temple. And now the crazy thing is, Persia is so into this idea of we're going to let you go be who you're supposed to be to all the different people they've conquered. They're actually going, hey, we'll help you if you want. Rebuild that thing. But the people just feel like, you know, there's just so much kind of going on. And it's kind of a, a bit of a challenge being back here and the things we're doing, and we're just gotta, we just got to get settled. 
We just got to build some houses. We just got to get ourselves back on our feet. And, and then eventually we'll get there. We'll get back to that. We'll, I'm sure we'll get back there. And they keep seeing it. And into that moment, Haggai speaks. And so we're going to read Haggai's message. Like I said, it's two short chapters. But I want you to hear the message of God to Haggai. It says in Haggai chapter 1, we're going to read about uh, 15 verses here. So follow along on the screen or go to your own Bible if you like. But I want you to hear, this is like the first message Haggai is going to preach. It says, in the second year of King Darius, Persian king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. This is one of the people of Israel who's been placed as to be a bit like, you know, not a king anymore, but he's the governor. He's, he's in charge. The governor of Judah and to Joshua, son of Jozdak, the high priest. He's the spiritual leader of the people. And he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. This people say, these people say, the time has not yet come. Wherever you are, let me hear you say, the time has not yet come. God said, this is what the people are saying. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. And then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. He says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? And everybody go, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's a gut punch if ever there was one. It's just like one of those rough words that you just don't want to hear. Haggai is not a particularly po uh, popular prophet. One of the reasons we don't know much about him is his message is just a bit like, oh, come on, mate. Take it easy. But God is saying, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? In other words, and you can see this over and over, got the play on the word houses. He says, you are living in these paneled houses. And the paneled houses means it, it kind of symbolizes not so much that, like, wow, they're these super luxurious houses necessarily, but more that your houses are done down to the last detail. You've come back to the land. Your houses are all sorted. But you're still just going, every time you walk past the Lord's house, you're just saying, no, nah, it's, not, it's not time yet. It's not a good time. And then he says, now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. They obviously never had Nick Aragoni cook for him. Amen, everybody? <laughs> Eat but never had enough. <laughs> that will not happen. You got Nick cooking for you. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. So God's going, you are giving yourselves to so much stuff. But no matter how much you're chasing all these things, it's... It's not fulfilling, is it? And in fact, God's going to eventually explain to them that he has a, a big part of why that is. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house. So that I may, be, I may take pleasure and be honored. I want you to say the word honored. You know, the, the whole idea of this house for God was never God lives in this house. 
But it was that as a symbol of his people collectively honoring and worshiping and putting their lives, saying, God, you are king, we are not, that he took pleasure in it and was honored by it. He says, I want you to go up, I want you to bring the timber and build it so that I can be, take pleasure in it and be honored, says Lord. He says, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. You were chasing after all this stuff, but it wasn't going well. What you brought home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, why are all these things not going well for you? Why does it seem like no matter how hard you work, there's just never enough at the end of it? He says, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. He's speaking to their priorities. He's not against them having houses, but he's saying it's like you're so wrapped up in your own life, you no longer prioritize me, my house, and the plan and the mission in this world of having this people who are called by my name. He says, therefore, because of you and this busyness with your own house, neglecting his, he says, the heavens have withheld their dew, the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields, the mountains, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, everything else, the ground produces on people, livestock, all labor of your hands. But then it says, then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people, they obeyed. Let me say obeyed. Oh, this is where it gets beautiful again. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people then feared the Lord. And then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the, of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. Let me say, I am with you. I am with you. That promise, remember the garden, the trees, God's presence, the king who be with them. God says, I am with you. It's always been about God's presence with his people. And he stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, spirit of Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and they began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. I want to pray for us. And I want to share a couple other last thoughts. Lord, this is an ancient word. But I believe it has relevance for us today. And so, Lord, my prayer is that through... Uh, my inability to speak or even speak clearly, that, God, you might cut through it all and speak clearly to your people and help us to understand what you would say to us. May we not get lost in it, but hear what you might say in Jesus' name. You know, the reason I said I believe this is something of a word for us. Does anybody know what happened on November 4th, 2022? November 4th, 2022. The state officially declared the emergency measures of COVID-19 to be complete. And there was great rejoicing. Huh? Come on. I mean, now, we might all look and go, well, when did ever this pandemic end? Does anybody remember, uh, you know, 2020? You know, when it, it was hard to even tell when it started. It's kind of hard to tell when it ends. But... Of all dates, and I, I just saw that recently, you know, it was when the last of kind of the health measures went out. Something happened, if you're not aware, in 2020 that was, it wasn't Babylon coming in and destroying or anything quite like that. But something, and this is the nature of when remnants become important, something kind of cataclysmic, changing everything, happened. Can we agree on that? Everyone's way of life got so radically changed. 
And that what it was to even, you know, there were times, you know, in 2020, even here at WA, as, as good as we had it, where, you know, we couldn't even gather. One of the central things that has always been about being followers of Jesus, to gather with one another, we couldn't even do it. We had to figure out new ways. What's it mean to be the people of God now in a different kind of context and time and how things are working? And just life's been different and everybody had to kind of change and go, well, we can't travel, we can't do this, we can't do that. You know, and then borders open, different things happen. And my point is not to kind of go back and go, well, what has all happened? But here's what I, I want us to grasp that I think is relevant and important. Is it just like so often has happened in the past, periodically, a remnant, you want to know what a remnant is? A remnant is what is left after something of a crisis has taken place for God's people. It's what, it is who is left. And so that's why this morning I say, turn to the person next to you and now tell them you look like a remnant. Does that feel better now? You're here. You are here. You made it. However you got here. Whether you've been here all the way since then, whether you remember what life was like in 2019 at True North Church, or whether you have uh, come along in the last couple of years or what, whatever, however, if you're still watching online, you are part of the online remnant. Do you know in 2020, I, I saw some old videos on my YouTube thing, and we used to have thousands of people watching. They're not here, but you are. <laughs> you're the remnant. You made it. And I love this idea because you know that always, you know, uh, in 2019 and the beginning of 2020, let me just give you one quick little snapshot about here and now for us. You know, our, our, the amount of people who gather at True North Church on a Sunday is roughly half today of what it was in 2019 or the beginning of 2020. You are the remnant. And... This is not in any way. So this is why I say, please don't confuse and think I'm saying anything about that other half. People, variety of whatever reasons, it's just where it is. And, and a number of people also gather online. And other people gather less frequently. The bottom line, all I'm saying is, it is a different world today. Our church is different. It is a remnant of what it used to be. And every time you have a remnant, you have a choice, and that is to either say, man, why can't we go back to the glory days? Put on Springsteen and just think about what it was like in 2019. Glory days, you know? Oh, you know, it can do that. Or you can realize this, that the remnant is always where the hope and the promise is in the Scriptures. Because the remnant's where kind of the... This is like where there's just, it's got that life in it. Do you know in 2019, uh, and I wanted to point out 2019, because I was before the bandwagon, I got into sourdough bread baking, okay? <laughs> Anybody get into it in 2020? You know, Johnny come lately. Anyway, a lot of people did. Uh, my good friend Steve Coe down in Mullaloo was the one who introduced me to the joys because he would make this bread that was absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And it was delicious. And I was like, you got to teach me how to make this bread. He taught me, and you know what the key is. If you've, uh, has anyone ever made sourdough bread? Give me a shout. Like, give me a clap. Let me know. Oh, I made sourdough, you know. The key is what? What's the key to some good bread? Starter. You can have all the flour and all the different things, but if that's starter, if it's good, 
If it's got that, you know, it's the thing that has all the reaction in it. It's what brings the flavor and the context. It's what shapes the loaf that is to come. And the remnant's like that starter. And, and I believe that we are in a moment as a church where if you are here today and you want to be a part of the starter of what God is going to do in the next chapter, that's the kind of moment we sit in. It's not about, oh, man, remember what it used to be like? It's about what could God do with a remnant of people, a smaller group of people who are called by his name who say, God, we are in. You know, if you're at Imagine Conference, and I'm going to finish with this thought for you today. Uh, Mark Sayers, we had a bit of a conversation, and, and Mark is one of the best thinkers out there and on remnants and, and rebuilds and all those things. And we had a conversation, a Q&A with with him, and one of the things someone asked and texted him was kind of, you know, what will those churches of the future look like, and what will define them, the ones that are really what the future is about? And he said they're going to be about these two words, devotion and obedience. Now, I love when you read through the book of Haggai, what you saw in that last verse, verse 12, it's all about this idea. It's about this idea that the people heard the voice of the Lord their God, and it says they obeyed. Let me say obeyed. It said, we're just going to do it your way, God. You're king. We're going to obey. We're going to do things your way. And then it says that they feared him. And, and that's a word that's difficult for us to translate, but one of the best ways you can is they were devoted to him. They loved him. They were passionate to say, God, we want our stirrets, spirits, our stirrets, our stirrets, <laughs> our spirits stirred for the things of your kingdom. It says God stirred their spirit. He stirred their spirit. And they came and they began to build, to rebuild, to work on the house of the Lord their God. And today my invitation to you is, and like I said, we're going to spend the next few weeks. So if something's stirring in your spirit and you're like, what do I even do with this? We'll get there. We'll talk it through. But it's something stirring in your spirit and you say, I don't even know what's next, but I know I want to be part of what's next. Then I want to encourage you to begin a conversation with God today where you just say, God, will you help me to hear your voice? Because that's what it says. They heard the voice of the Lord their God. So God, will you help me hear your voice? And will you stir my spirit so that I might be part of the remnant? And the rebuild. In fact, I want to invite you wherever you are to stand up. Either you're watching online, if you're at Mullaloo. We're beginning a bit of a journey together today. I want to encourage you, please be here, you know, next Sunday. Get gathered. If you're online, if you're traveling, if you're here in person. But let's go on a bit of a journey together the next few weeks. Where we say, you know what? It's time. It's time to start rebuilding. It's time to go, Lord, we want to have our spirit stirred that we might hear your voice, that we might be devoted to you, that we might be obedient to you. Because what God does with the remnant is where all, all of the great stories of the scripture take place. It's with the remnant. 
Why don't you take a moment and just bow your head, close your eyes. Begin to just listen for what God might say to you. You know, in a moment, we're going to take communion together. It's a moment we recognize that all of the story was pointing towards Jesus. That he is the one true king. He's the one who could do what every person all along the way never could. And he invites us to acknowledge him as king and to live as those who say, Jesus, you are my king and my life becomes about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and in my life as it is in heaven. And I want to encourage you as, you know, this next few weeks, we're going to be just doing this together each week because it's communion and coming to the table is about a moment where we meet with Jesus and allow him to speak into our lives. It's a moment where if there's something he's stirring in your spirit, you can say to him, Jesus, you know, if you feel like, Lord, I just need to tell you, I feel like I've been too busy with my own house, but I want to be hungry and thirsty. I want to build your house. You can say that to him. I want to encourage you, invite you to begin to open the conversation with him. Maybe it's not about that, but about just saying, Jesus, will you stir my spirit? Will you breathe in a fresh way into my life? As you eat that bread, as you drink that cup, it's an acknowledgement that actually I am a part of this people, not defined by any particular land, geography, space, or building, but a people defined by knowing Jesus as my king. So meet with him today. and Ask him to begin something fresh in your own heart. That together, we might be that remnant sees God do something extraordinary in our day. In a moment when you're ready, you can come. We're going to have some prayer teams on the side of the room as well. If there's anything in your life that you just need to bring before God to say, God, would you, I want you to pray into this. Maybe a challenge you're facing, anything at all. When we meet with Jesus, it's a chance to really encounter him. And sometimes one of the best ways we can do that is having other people pray for us. Something that was hard to do for a lot of the last couple of years. But we want to be people who lean into what God is doing in any given moment. So I'm going to pray for you. And then when you're ready, just come. Come to the table. Meet with Jesus. Be prayed for if you need. Let's let God start something new in us. Lord, in this moment, we pray. In fact, if you want to open your hands as part of this prayer, if you want him to stir your spirit. Lord, in this moment, we pray that you might begin a fresh work in us. Refine us, purify us, shape us. Make us into the remnant you would dream us to be. As we come meet with you, come speak into our lives. Stir the devotion of our hearts, we pray and ask in the name of our King Jesus. Amen. Come when you're ready.